So flowers mean many things to many different people. So thank you, I'm sorry, congratulations, I love you. But for Lana Ellie, founder and CEO of Flume, they also mean business. So Flume was created to meet a very real challenge that I'm sure many of you have experienced. So after growing up in Bali, her first job here in London was as an executive PA at Burberry, where she was constantly responsible with sending flowers. That's where she first got the idea for the business. At the time, it was just difficult to find a place that housed independent florists who could ship to places inside and outside of central London, and also the types of florists who were just creating interesting bouquets with unexpected flower arrangements. So Flume is essentially a marketplace for flowers. So all of those incredible florists all in one place. It's also incredible for the florists. It gives them the opportunity to either have an online presence or strengthen their existing one and just be involved in all of the brand awareness that comes from being part of such a great platform. So before Flume, she was the head of branded content at ID and Vice, working on campaigns with the likes of Gucci and Marc Jacobs. So she actually walked away from that role to start the business, which has since been backed by New Look founder, Tom Singh. So yeah, she, find, she found herself at 28 years old in a well-paid job with a good title at a great company, yet still longing to create something of her own. I think many of us as entrepreneurs have had that where we've kind of achieved that dream job on paper, but still have this longing for more. Um, that, you know, becoming an entrepreneur, just it's just part of who we are. So I really wanted to pack, unpack that in today's episode. Um, we also walk through the steps that she took um, so taking the business from the idea stage to execution, because as we all know, a lot goes on before you're kind of taking your idea out into the world. Crowdfunding. I promised you that we talk a lot more about money. Um, so if crowdfunding is something that you're thinking about, then today's episode is for you. Um, Lana breaks down all of the things that she wished she knew before going to Crowdcube and explains how she managed to raise £100,000 over her original target. We also speak about the investor-entrepreneur relationships and just some of the opportunities and challenges that come with going down the private investment route. So now to Lana Ellie. Okay, Lana, so happy to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. I'm really excited. So before we dive headfirst into all things Flume, can you just talk to me a little bit about your professional background before you started the business? Sure. So I was at ID before this. I was there for about a year and a half and I was their head of branded content. Okay. Um, ID had just been bought by Vice and they were trying to commercialize it basically and build an agency, an internal agency. So I went there to build that up. Um, and for that, I was agency side for a couple of years working on brands like Gucci, Diesel, um, some small projects on Prada. And before that, I was at Burberry, where I actually kind of started my like, UK career as a PA. Yeah, because you, you grew up kind of in yeah. all these amazing places. I grew up in Bali. Yeah. Which was quite random. And then I moved to America when I was 15. And then I moved back to Bali and like tried Australia I was just I couldn't like figure out where I wanted to be yeah and then as soon as I moved here I was like yes <laughs> London is the place I actually moved to West London and I was like this sucks 
why do people like London? And That's then I, so funny. I found these two like twins and moved east, and I was like, oh, this yeah. is fun. <laughs> I know it's so funny, London, like how polar opposite different sides yeah. of the city are. I mean, there's definitely good West London places, but I was like in Maida Vale with families. Okay, so yeah, it's age, a different age feel. Twenty two or something. Different feel. <laughs> no thanks. So talk to me. So how did? Um, it was really interesting that your last job was kind of on the, the, the consumer insight side of things. How did that kind of help with this transition? It definitely was the information I needed to help me take the step. Yeah. I think I I knew what I wanted Flume, but, you know, just because you want something, it doesn't mean everyone wants it. Um, and as I was going through, so Vice... Basically, they poll all of the users. They get, like, 50 million users a month. They poll them, and out of that, they put together a consumer insight strategy and sell it to brands. Okay. Um, And I was using that strategy and kind of speaking to different brands about how they had to change their advertising and their comms and start to speak to people in a way that, you know, because people had changed what they wanted. Yeah. Start to speak to them, like, they respected them, yes, yeah. in a way. Like they were in- also intelligent human beings, and stopped running ads that just gave you no value. And brands started to have needed to have a purpose, and you know, design really changed. You look at most websites now, and they're like stripped back, quite clean. Um, and that kind of those insights made me realize that people cared one about supporting an independent, yeah, um, and knowing where their products came from, and then also they cared about good product nice design, good user experience, and so forth. So when I read that, I was like, oh, this could potentially be mass market. Yeah. I mean, you look at, like, and other stories. And oh, my cars, God, totally. And, like, you know, companies like that make money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's so true. Which, like, they make money off of us because we're into that, but they have mass market, they're high street appeal now. Yeah. So, and that's, you know, it's a very structured cut and otherwise most people would be like that's what are you doing it's not yeah. my style it's yeah. not tight and fitted and <laughs> so yeah it, def- it definitely was the push and it was also it helped investors believe I knew what I was doing maybe yeah because do, <laughs> do you do you recommend to entrepreneurs to kind of at least have some sense of a foundation in what it is that they wanted to do. So, of course, you were not working with flowers before, but that consumer insight, I'm sure, gave you such a valuable head start when it came to starting your business. How necessary do you think that is? Um, I think you can, regardless of what you're doing, you can find something that you can apply yeah. to what your job's going to Like, I didn't know anything about flowers or the market. And yeah. I very lucky was introduced to great mentors within that space who then became investors. Okay. So now, as a business, we have that insight. But me, personally, I didn't. And that, that was almost kind of better, I think, because I could see flowers as a consumer as opposed to see flowers as somebody who really knew the market. It, yeah. I would have maybe made it too niche. Totally. And I guess sometimes when you've been in it, you have kind of accepted the way the industry is to kind of be a bit of a disruptor. You need to be on the outside. Yeah, you need, you need to see and be like, this is all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Why does it work this way? Um, but yeah, I think like I, I didn't have huge, you know, like I don't develop. I mean, I, I was a project manager, so I do have tech background in the way that I can understand how to 
build something or put together a team to build something. Yeah. But I think you just play on your strengths. Yeah. You know? Like, I didn't have a product. There were so many things I didn't have, but I designed a really nice deck and I filled it with like 40 pages of customer strategy and people were like, this is not what you should be doing. But that you know was, who yeah. your customer is and as a marketplace, you need a lot of them. So totally. So what was the opportunity that you saw? What? Where did the idea for Flume come from? Um, it was just a personal frustration, to be honest. It was like every time I sent flowers, whether it was a bit out of London or a bit away from the area that I knew, I didn't know who to use. Um, yeah. And definitely when I sent flowers, like growing up in so many different places, I have friends and family in so many different places. To send flowers in a different country is like a language barrier. Yeah. <clears throat> complete lack of understanding of what flowers are in season, what they should cost, and then you don't know what they look like. It's kind of the only thing that you call somewhere and you're like, here's 50, <laughs> here's 50 quid and my credit card details and, and maybe let me know when they arrive. Yeah, it's true. You know, like you depend on the recipient to let you know. Yeah. But anything else that's like, okay, it's being packaged, it's being shipped, it's been delivered, it's been signed for, you know, the process of buying something these days is so engaged. Yeah. But with flowers, even Which though is it's such so a expensive. Personal and, yeah, it's a super emotional it's a luxury product. item, totally. Yeah. And you're generally sending it because someone's died or someone's had a baby or you're congrat you know, it's it's emotional. If they don't get there it's a big deal. Completely. Um so I just I felt a little frustrated with the whole process and thought, well, why don't I use my technology understanding and build a platform that can allow florists to tap into that? They're not building their own platforms. It's so funny. When I when I a friend of mine introduced me to the business and it was like those businesses we were like, how has no one thought about this? Like an Uber. It's like that makes so much sense. I know. Why has no Uber's one thought one about of my biggest life frustrations. <laughs> Seriously <laughs> no. though. I think with this one, it's it's com- it's super dominated by Interflora, so it's already yeah. a scary space. Like people know the word. Yeah. You, you're gonna send flowers to a place you don't know you're gonna send Interflora. Okay. Even to a place that you know because it's the easiest thing to do because it's one of the only things that's online. Yeah. So there's that element and I think also people, a lot of people didn't really understand the variety of flowers that existed. Yeah. So until you're somewhat into flowers, what you see is what's online and it's always the same shit. Yeah, it's true. You know, it's like the same three varieties and it's so boring by that stage that you're like, what is there really to disrupt? Yeah. But then when you see what's actually could be available, you're like, oh, yeah, why aren't they making these available? And it's true because, you know, there are lots of names that we know, you know, Wild at Heart, you know, Grace and Thorn, and all of these amazing florists. But I guess sometimes the difficulty, especially with these startup florists, is that they're so centrally located. I grew up in Greenwich, and, you know, half of the florists that I've known through work and have you know, they just don't come to where I live. Yeah. So it was this kind of frustration. Oh. It's crazy that no one's really thought about that. <laughs> um, so how did you decide, okay, I've got this idea. I'm now going to go full time with it. Um, I was actually quite lucky. I mean, I did talk about it for about a year. I yeah, because like, oh, yeah, I'm starting this company and people were like, yeah, yeah. Because you sure. had the idea quite a few years prior to like... Yeah, I had the idea... Burberry, but I not in the way that I was ever gonna do it. Okay. It was more like I didn't really, I didn't really have my tech experience yet. Okay. Um. So it was just like this is annoying. 
Yeah. And I built a directory of florists. Okay. Um, but then when I was at Vice, I had the idea pretty much when I started, and I was like, well, I just got my perfect career job. So. Yeah. But I was like, one day I'm going to start this company that does this, and people were like, okay, sure, you are. <laughs> um, and then I actually did the business plan over kind of when all of fashion goes on holiday in August. Yeah. And I'd just been to Bali, so I was like the only person around. Yeah. So I actually left work on time. Okay, nice. Um, and I just go home and start doing research on it. And once I started doing research on it, I was like, oh my God, like this, there's so much opportunity in this space beyond what I had just imagined. So what were some of the things that you were discovering? Well, just... The, the lack of consistencies between all of these different florists, like okay. how few of them had e-commerce in the first place. Yeah. If they did have e-commerce, they were all, like, if you look in fashion and it's independence, everybody uses Shopify. Yeah. They don't even know Shopify exists and they don't want to know. They don't want to use it. They, you know, they want to make beautiful products. Yeah. So it was, it was really interesting to see how they were living based off the fact that the world was changing and social media was becoming prominent and e-commerce was becoming important and they weren't adhering to these things. Um, so, yeah, I just... After I did that, I was like, okay, there's way... There's so much that you could do with here. So even in the creating of your business plan, so you saw that there was an opportunity, but how are you, how are you even beginning with things like your business model and that whole side of things? Because I think when people hear like, oh my God, you know, these 80 page business plans, it sounds so daunting, especially if you don't have the expertise in that. And that's definitely a bad business plan. It should not be 80 pages. (laughs) Mine was like a hundred and something pages and it was just stuff I copy pasted off the internet that I was like, this is so interesting. People need to know about this. Yeah. And then I'd send it to people and they'd be like, nobody wants to know about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great you know about it, but please don't make me read 100 pages about this industry. Yeah. So, and then I just, I watched a lot of videos, like literally I just Googled best present, like startup presentations or pitch presentations. Oh my God, for Google, eh? Seriously, there's so many YouTube <laughs> videos of like, this is the best one. And it says exactly, it cannot be more than 10 pages. And these are the titles of the 10 pages. Like every single one and they're consistent. So it becomes just a process of like cutting it down and determining what goes into what pages. There's even things that help you build a business model. That is insane. There's I guess so much stuff online. It's so funny because I've been doing, um, just recording season two, talking to all these amazing entrepreneurs, and so many of them have just been like, yeah, I Googled it. I think sometimes we can oh, overthink yeah. it when we see these businesses now fully formed. But that's kind of just how it started, just yeah, asking just the right questions. Out. Yeah. you just got to figure it out, to be honest. So um, you'd kind of landed this, like, um, you know, this amazing dream job, um, what were some of the, the factors that you were kind of weighing up in deciding that there was a time to leave? Um, I actually raised money before I quit my job. Ah. Yeah, so I had, I had um, heads of terms before I quit my job. Okay. And I, like, the story's kind of annoying because I got really lucky. Yeah. And I know that because I've now raised a second round and it was nothing like the first round. Okay. But... The first two people I spoke, the first three people I spoke to said yes. Wow. And I ended up going with two of them. And they, they've been amazing. So it's, 
it's kind of like an unfair story, you know, because yeah. like I, how they even got introduced, like the whole thing was just like, how did this happen? It all happened so fast. And then once we signed documents, they were like, okay, you're going to start tomorrow. And I was like, yeah, I got to quit my job. Sure. But, uh, okay. So you kind of already got that impression. Cause so how did you find those first few people? Um, one of them was just introduced to me cause I was helping another startup in okay. the mornings. Okay. Um, they were, they didn't have any money and I was helping kind of on a consulting basis. Yeah. Um, because I knew they'd just raised a bunch of money yeah. <laughs> and the founder was like, Is, what can I do for you? And he actually was amazing. He shared his deck. Wow. He went over my deck and then he sat down with me and like kind of tested me, gave me like a test run through and then That's introduced amazing. me to his investor. Um, and his investor is, was Tom Singh, the founder of New Look. Okay, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my first meeting, I was like, I cannot do this. Um, yeah. How did you feel was, when you were prepared? It was terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And how did, how did it go? I mean, it went. Well, clearly well. It, it went well, but he was also like. He said no at first. Did he? Yeah, he was like, I've been burnt by B2C businesses. Um, and they just, they're too hard to make work. And I, but I think you'll do a great job. And then he called me the next day and he was like, okay, actually, we'll do it. I'll try it out. If you can convince this guy that is kind of like my tech investor partner. Okay. So I met him. And he was, like, super, super on board. Um, and then I got introduced to Alvaro as a mentor, who's the guy in the flower space. And I told him I already had an offer. And he was like, no, you're taking this offer. Wow. And then it was just a process of negotiation between the three of them of who got what percent out of what I was willing to sell. Um, so, so how, so how yeah. do you go into, you've got this idea, you already know that there's a really big market opportunity. How do you go into those meetings so you'll also have a level of control too. You know, it's like they say in interviews, you kind of should be interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. Yeah. How do you do that? Um, I, I can't remember if I had any level of control in that <laughs> meeting. Um, but I don't know if it's even that. I mean, now it's completely different because I've had maybe 50, 60 of those meetings. Okay. But in the beginning, I think you just show that you know what you're talking about and you're excited about it and they're looking for drive, okay. you know, like I think both of them would give me jobs, you know, yeah. there's, there's an element of, okay, if this isn't it, something else will be it and we'll be close to whatever that is. Yeah. Um, and that also makes you feel really good, but I don't think, Yeah. I didn't really go in and be like, oh, what can you offer me? Yeah. But I guess it's hard because did you go in having a kind of idea of how much of the business you wanted to give away? So you were very clear with that. Yeah. Okay. I was exactly like, I'm selling this percent of the business for this much. Okay. So at least you kind of came in yeah. with, with that. Yeah. Okay. But I kind of just made that up. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, there's, well, there's this thing with startups. It's like in the early stage when you have no product and you have no revenue, there's just a like, you kind of raise an evaluation for about this much. Yeah. And then I had done um, a model, so I knew kind of what I was going to spend and what I needed for the first 12 months. Yeah. And so that amount of money equated to a percent of the business. Okay. So so what did that initial investment go on? 
Um, it built the product was probably the biggest spend. So it built the website, but also we have a backend website that you don't see. So okay. like florists, it's kind of like Etsy or eBay in the backend. Okay. So whereas in on eBay you see the shop page, but you can also make an account and log in and yeah. add your own products, mm-hmm. name them, or publish them. Yeah. Florists do that themselves on our backend. Oh, okay. And that's all designed for them the same way the front end is. Interesting. Yeah. So there, there's kind of like two websites going on. Yeah. Um, one that isn't public. Um. So it built that, and then we got the first three team members. So what were their roles? Um. It kind of Olivia was our first one, who's actually left since, but it was kind of just like help me do everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At that stage, it was like, are you efficient? Yeah. Are you good at figuring stuff out? And like. We bought, you know, flume.com, the domain name, which took months because we bought it off someone in America. So, like, negotiating stuff like that and changing the DNS and, like, learning about these random things that actually, you know, and buying, like, I don't know, you just, there's so much, like, data stuff to protect you. Yeah, it's all of those, like, really cool things. Things that you're like, oh, I need this to have a website. (laughs) I need, like, privacy and cookie legal <laughs> requirements you know so it's it's wonderful but I guess also having them those investors on board must have been really helpful in navigating those early stages yeah one of our especially one of them they gave us like payroll they gave me all of like my team contract HR contract documentation Amazing. they do all of our accounting so how did you find that hiring process to begin with? Because I think that's what a lot of um, startups struggle with, and we were just talking about this off, offline, that, you know, you you know you have so much to do. You're so passionate about bringing this business to market, and it can be difficult because no one is ever going to have the same passion as you. But really, in the beginning, passion is what you need. Yeah. I don't know. You do... you. You do find people with passion, yeah. just not that same anxiety. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's okay. definitely passion, but it's like at six o'clock, you're like, okay, see ya. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, uh. but so we have to do all of these things. It's like, well, do we really? Like, what's the deadline? You've made yeah. the deadline. Yeah, up. yeah. And I'm a very like self deadline person. Like, same. I give, I give yeah, myself. there's like the normal deadline, and then there's like your deadline. Other yeah. people are like, these are fake. Like, no, they're not. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. It's better now because, you know, we do so many partnerships and there are real deadlines. Yeah. But in the beginning, it's all kind of like you just sit there and you're like, what am I going to do today? Yeah. Um, but we just made a huge list of everything we had to do and prioritized it to some extent and it just kind of built itself. So how did it, talk me through the stages. Okay, so you've now got that investment, you've kind of got the team set up. How long did it take for the the website to be live and the business to be trading? Um, So I kind of knew I was already getting investment before it came in because I got heads of terms and negotiations took like three months. So I actually started UX design doing UX and design before I got money okay so we got money in January and we launched at the end of Feb which is really really fast but I'd actually done or got people to do most of the work knowing that I had 30-day payment terms oh fantastic (laughs) and Christmas was coming up so most people did things like we UX everything in November and then designed it in December, and then it went over to Dev when we started in January, and then they just built the website, and we launched, like, yeah, 24th or 25th of Feb. 
So yeah, talk to me a little bit about the website design because it is so beautiful and Thank it's you. just such a easy, easy to navigate yeah, website. It's so funny when you go on websites now and there's like lots of things popping up and, you know, it should just be an intuitive experience, which is how I felt when I was on your website. So yeah. how, talk me through the design process a little bit. Well, I wanted to kind of strip back from that like Interflora website where it's like every single occasion <laughs> written down yeah. the side. Yeah, <laughs> Occasions yeah. that you didn't even know existed. Yeah. And then also like what says why a certain bouquet should be like for a new baby boy? Because yeah. they're blue. Like, yeah. We just don't live in a time like that anymore. Yeah. You know, it's not defined by you, your sex. Of like, course. colors aren't representative of things like that. So, I just found I wanted to cut, remove that whole thing mm-hmm. you know, for the first place. And I also wanted to make it very flower specific. I just wanted the flowers to speak for themselves. And it's, it's very me in a way, the aesthetic. Like, it's just a bit simple. <laughs> Which I love. I'm all about um, And then, yeah, it just turned into, I, I've always had websites and stuff that I loved and referenced. And I worked for mobile agencies in the past. Okay. So it, I wanted it to feel like you were on a mobile site. Yeah. Even though it was a website. So everything is like a bit rounded in the corners and, you know, like kind of buttony. You feel like you can just press it. Yeah. That was the intention. But now I look at those rounded corners and I'm like, why do they do that? <laughs> I feel like that's just the way with tech. Like, no sooner have I finished, like, a, a website redesign, I'm already kind of over it and oh, you're yeah, on to the so next thing, it. right? Um, so talk to me a little bit about how you chose the, the florist that you want to work with. How is your curation process work because it's funny all of the floor even just putting my postcode in all of the floors have a similar aesthetic but have like that little special thing about them there is that kind of seamless yeah that's and that's definitely changing because I'm less involved in that aspect of things but I had a very specific aesthetic yeah which is kind of you know that flower shop aesthetic which is really wild and whimsical and it's not that rounded bulb surface um, and that's not to say that one's better than the other. Yeah. It's just what I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I followed a lot of those florists who kind of are influencers now on Instagram. And those were my go-tos. Yeah. Were the names that I knew. Okay. That the names that I knew other florists would follow. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's changed. Like, I started it out as a site that would never have red roses on it. Yeah. You know, and now there are red <laughs> roses on it. Yeah. Because Roses are actually beautiful. Yeah. And I shouldn't discriminate because companies like Interflora have sold you just red roses and said you have to buy red roses. Yeah. You know, there's ways of using them in a, in a way that's not saying this is the only thing that represents love. Yeah. Um, so it's it definitely started out in a way where it was very <laughs> like me. It was like, yeah. this is what I want to buy. Yeah. Um, but what people buy on the site, I'm like, that is so not what I would buy. But it's, but yeah. they're still they're still beautiful because our florists know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot more variety and there's a lot more different types of florists and some of my favorite bouquets now are actually these more bulbed circular bouquets. And I think it's like with anything, you know, like with colors, you you change what you like. Yeah, totally. And sometimes it it takes you like. It's like with an outfit, you, you may not, ne- never have bought an item of clothing, you see it on somebody else, and you're like, ah, I can't yeah. never thought of it like yeah, that. exactly. I do that all the time. I'm like, oh, why are they making those again? And yeah. two weeks later, I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So with, since there's a lot of kind of 
power um, and autonomy given to the florists. How do you keep that unifying brand message? Um, I think by making it so simple in the first place, okay, it has really made it flume. So yeah. like you go on the site and you still know it's us. And also we have a couple of guidelines. Okay, like there are certain flowers people can't use. Okay, um, that might change. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, like, they can't use really cheap flowers, like gerbers, for example, because to me, anyway, they represent that what's almost become wrong with the industry. It's always been just pushing these cheap flowers that have really hard stems that are going to last two weeks. Yeah. As opposed to the weeds or, you know, the things that are local to this country. Yeah. That actually have so much more beauty, in my opinion, anyway. Um, so there are guidelines like that. And also we pick florists based on... Based on their aesthetic. Yeah. There's a there's a vetting process. I mean, for someone to get on the site, they can't sign up on their own. It takes about four weeks to get through the funnel. Oh, wow. So there is a, a big vetting process. And it's, it's not just product-based. It's also what's the setup like? What's your logistics like? We don't want anyone to be let down. And ultimately, once you've made an order, it's kind of out of our hands. Yeah. So there's a lot of vetting that goes in early on because the customer is going to it's going to be our fault. Exactly. You know, like, they're not going to be like, you screwed this yeah, up. Totally. Like, oh, we didn't, but we take responsibility for screwing it up because that's what we've promised. We've promised an experience. So, yeah, we're very specific about who we choose. So do you shoot all of the photos or do, the, do they do that? They do that. So okay. as part of signing up, they need to buy a professional photography stand and roll of paper. Okay. Um, and then we have like intricate video guidelines and, PDFs about how to shoot it, um, all the different photos you need to so create. And that's why everything is kind of like white so like, Yeah, brown. how is it all like coming together so seamlessly? Yeah. If it's all coming from the florist, okay, that makes a lot of sense. And there's a, a retouching process that goes through us as well. Okay. But yeah, they're shooting it all themselves. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so let's talk numbers for a minute. So, how does it work? So, is it the business model? It's like an affiliate <coughs> model. So, the um, I remember reading that the the florist will take eighty percent of the fee, mm -hmm. and then you guys take twenty percent. Yeah. And what made you decide to, to to work it in that way? Um, it was just the unit economics of it. Okay. For us to be profitable at some stage, because twenty percent actually potentially sounds like a lot to people, but we're not putting twenty percent on top of the product. Okay. So it's out of the original retail price, but it's. It's small money. You need huge, huge quantities. Okay. And at the very minimum, what it costs, if we find the best solution for acquiring a customer, it would only make sense if we were making that kind of a margin. Okay. Because otherwise, we'd always be paying more than what we were making. Okay. And we would never... We could have, you know, millions <laughs> of users. Yeah. And we would never be profitable. So how did you get your first customers outside of family and friends? Um... Probably press, off the back of press. Okay. We've always been really lucky with press. So is that something that you actively kind of had a, a PR strategy that you did yourself? How did We've how did you go PR about that? We had a agency in the beginning. Okay. What um, were the benefits of having someone at the start? I think it's somebody who just saw your brand differently from you. Yeah. And also PR is very relationship-based. Yeah. And it just kind of like lets you get on with what you're doing and they're doing the outreach. We haven't had a PR agency for a while. Um, and we get a lot of inbound PR, so that's been good. But otherwise, 
we did flyers, we did postcards, we put in shops. Um, we I ran ads about it even before I had a website. Why were you running that ads on, on Facebook? Facebook? Yeah, just out of you know spare money I had from when I was at Vice. Okay. Um, and it was just pushing to a website that was collecting emails. Okay. So we had already had six thousand Instagram followers before we launched. Wow. We had I think about three thousand emails. And it didn't say anything. It was just, like, a page that we built in, like, five minutes. Like, coming soon. Yeah. Yeah. Like, be the first to know. And it had an awful carousel of some <laughs> random pictures I shot in, like, my living room. Um, yeah, and that, you know, being able to email people who had signed up, even though they didn't know what it was, it gave, it was at least, like, one or two people who were like, oh, I'll use this. Yeah. Maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll tell somebody to. Because, so... Your growth has been amazing. It's like 10% month on month. What are you... 18. Oh, it's 18 now. Okay, so wow. So it's, it's even grown since the yeah. last time I checked. So, so yeah, what do you put that down to? Because as you said, you're not actively PRing anymore. Um, I mean, now, now it's different. Like, now we have internal strategies. Okay. So we, you know, we define markets that really work well for us. Um, we go for a lot of PAs within businesses because we know they're gifting a lot. So we'll, you know, we'll put a list of businesses together and think, well, how do we find the PAs that work in there? Okay. We work now. We work with Facebook, BBC, Kiehl's, Lint. We do influencer gifting. So we'll do like 150 wreaths or wow. 300 bouquets all in kind of one go. Okay. Um, and that has really been our biggest thing is having those businesses. Yeah. Um. Especially because we were London only for so long. Yeah. We had this big issue where we were pushing customers to the site and they put in, they would be in London, but then they put in a postcode that wasn't in London. Yeah. It's like the most annoying thing about this because you're always sending somewhere else. You're generally not sending to yourself. Yeah. Um, so we just were like, how are we going to find people who are in London sending to London? Yeah. And that was businesses. So what's the split now, business to consumer? It's definitely gone down. It was about 60, 40 businesses. Now we're nationwide, so it's gone up. So we were nationwide right before Valentine's Day and Mother's Day. And now it's gone up. Yeah. Um, And then also we we crowdfunded really recently. So that was like, got us quite a bit of press and meant that we were on like Crowdcube's mailer base, thousands of people. So it, it brought in more of an individual customer. Um, so what made you do the crowdfunding after the... Because you've done two rounds now. That that was part of the That was for the second round. round, okay. Yeah. So we'd already confirmed about 75% of the money. Okay. Um, but we'd always been having conversations with florists and customers. Customers would email me and be like, if you ever do another round, I want to get involved. Like, okay. Just tell me. And I was kind of like thinking about it. I was like, there's so many of these emails that I could put together and like, why, what really differentiates us? Yeah. It's the independent florists. And then all of these other companies or these big companies who have raised millions of pounds that we're competing with. And they're not, you know, they're not about the flowers. And so we're like, we're kind of people's choice. Yeah. And we're trying to support independence. So why don't they get a cut? Yeah. Um, and that was the best way that we could find that people could invest something as little as 50 quid and become an equity shareholder. Yeah, so can you explain that? Because I think a lot of people have heard about it but don't really know logistically how it works. Yeah, it, it's... I didn't really either, <laughs> to be honest. It was definitely a big ordeal. 
Um, it, you, they just put you on a platform, you go through due diligence, you need to be selected by them, you negotiate, and you give them some of what you raise, okay. and they take a fee. But there's the two main ones are Cedars and Crowdcube. Okay. We did Crowdcube, um, and you build a video, and you basically build a live pitch, and then people pledge through that pitch and run investment through it. So all of the 75% investors, the ones doing 50 grand and up, still pledged through that. Ah, uh, okay. Um, and then we, you know, we set our target. Yeah. And then you just kind of email it out to people and say, if you're interested in being part of the journey, invest what you can. And based on this valuation, you get a percentage of the business. So we had florists invest, which is probably my favorite thing. Nice. It's, it's nice to like be a company like ours and see the people that we're working with believe in it. Oh, definitely. Def- and I guess for them, you're all allowing them to to push their businesses forward without them having to spend on creating this kind of e-commerce infrastructure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's always there's always situations like this where it's like, well, are you really supporting an independent if you're taking some of their margin? And it's like... But you're giving them an opportunity to sell that they didn't have we, before. And we had, we had to make the platform. Yeah. And we have to have the team to market it. And what's the platform if there's no customers on it? And yeah. There's, there's a real element of like just kind of educating people as well and being like, what what are we going to do? You know, yeah. to some extent, we've also got to help the platform help them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think from a florist perspective, there's a real big understanding of that. And yeah. there's, our partnerships are really good. And when I see like how they use it, it, it makes me really, really proud in those moments. But yeah, so that was the nicest thing about crowdfunding, I think. And then we also overfunded, which was, also very nice. Yeah. It's not a bad problem to <laughs> have. We did like an extra 60 grand in the first 24 hours after we hit our target. Oh my God. And then we, we were meant to raise 390 and we did 520. Wow. Yeah. So exciting. Good. So, so just to, to give people a bit of perspective, how long would money like that last a startup generally? I mean, I guess it depends on the startup. Yeah. For us, where we have big investors who want fast growth. Yeah. I mean, that's what a startup is. Yeah. There's a lifestyle business and there's a startup. So we burn fast. Okay. We probably burn, you know, 30, 40 grand a month now. Okay. Um, and that's because, you know, we've just hired an extra three, four people. We have up to our marketing spend. Suddenly it's like, okay, well, let's push this and prove that it works. Yeah. Until it proves that it doesn't, doesn't work, work or it takes off. So how <laughs> I want to talk to you a little bit about that because we hear a lot in in our startup community about you know getting getting funding. What is talk to me a little bit about that the entrepreneur and then the, the investor relationship and what impact that now has on the work that you're doing and the reporting relationship and yeah, the growth expectations. It, it definitely has a massive impact. <laughs> like, if I'd never taken money, I could it could just be me slowly growing. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm lucky. I, I Anyway, to this day, knock on wood, I don't have any investors who tell me what to do yeah. or, like, shout at me. We have, like, a very co-collaborative relationship, I yeah. believe, and I hope that they trust me. Yeah. Um, and I report to them monthly about what we burn, what we achieved, what we didn't achieve. I'm very, like, honest and open about it. So... I feel we've built a strong relationship yeah. Um, and I'm very proud of some of the investors I have and the value that they provide. But 
you you hear horror stories all the time. I think it's also important to speak to people who have that investor in their company. Yeah. Um, I did that with a lot of my big investors, and I've always heard positive things. So, okay. yeah, the, the relationship is really determined by the two of you, yeah. but it changes what the business is. Growth if, wise. If that's what, that's what I wanted the business to be from day one, so it never yeah. really changed anything. Okay. Um, I'm like, I want to push this and see if it works. I don't, maybe don't want to do this for the next 30, 40 years of my life. Yeah. Not because I don't love it, I do, but I just, it's more exciting to me to move fast and try and be in three countries by next year and, you know, see, see what it can really do. In, yeah, then then a in slow the burn. UK. And I yeah. guess sometimes the danger is that, you know, you, you you created something that wasn't there before. And the danger sometimes if you're a bit slower about it is that they'll you know, someone else can come in that has maybe more resources and completely Yeah. Take but I think the danger of that also exists if you don't have enough money and you're trying to do it fast. Yeah, yeah. So you need But that. you don't want too much money. You know, yeah. it's like it, there's a really like no right answer <laughs> because this could if I had just done it slow on my own I could have maybe made the money last a lot longer and it could have maybe it could work or it could not work either way there's yeah. no like there's no real I know I guess right like everyone's wrong. kind of just testing the like, water the solution I think it's so dependent on the person and the business and the investors and every single part of it has like something to do with whether or not it works so do you have many kind of friends who are business owners? Like who do you go, outside of your investors, who do you go to to kind of bounce ideas off of or who are maybe, you know, a little bit further than you that you can get kind of their insight? Yeah, I've definitely not lost my friends, not replaced them, but I do find it harder to spend time with my actual friends. I've, I've almost built this like little group of new friends. Okay. Who I I'm I'm not the only one. It's, it's, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because yeah. your business, it really does become like your baby and your priorities just completely change and kind of right, <laughs> rightly so. Yeah, I mean like having a drink at like nine o'clock is maybe more acceptable to somebody who's also working till nine and when you know you're going to be able to talk to them about like what lawyer they use to set up their employee scheme <laughs> yeah. you know so it's like uh what am I going to do it's still work yeah 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 um but I think all my friends totally get, get that. it yeah and when we don't speak for like once at a time anymore and then we speak again or go on holiday it's fine yeah but yeah there's definitely other founders with companies ahead of me that I like clung on to yeah <laughs> they're probably like leave me alone now <laughs> like no please give me more info yeah that's, that happens so what's your what's an average week look like for you now how do you split your time in the business I ask everybody in this because I think for so many of us it's this constant push and pull between working in our business versus working on our business so how do you navigate that and how do you split your time um I'm quite lucky because we recently brought in a COO. Okay. So especially with Marketplace, you have two customers. Yeah. So it's like growing supply, growing customer base. And I was probably not juggling that that well. I was doing, I was like, I'm doing one or the other. So we really focused on customer acquisition. And then 
we felt that we ran into a huge wall because we didn't have enough suppliers around the country. It was just London. Yeah. And then I kind of switched and I was like, okay, I'm just focusing on supply. Yeah. And now that we have a COO, he focuses on supply and I focus on demand. And as we hire, it's always for those two sections. You know, okay. it's growth marketing or it's supply sales or it's B2B sales. So yeah. it fits right under like our remit. Yeah. And it gives us like really clear structure. Um, so it's, it's nice to have that already because before doing that and fundraising and thinking about where my business was going, it's just not happening. Yeah. Um, so now that we have that clear distribution and then the rest of the time, it's, I just do a lot of meetings. Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of meetings, but I'm in charge of partnerships, which is fun. Um, yeah, mostly hiring. Yeah. A lot of CV reading. Yeah. A lot, so many, speaking to so many recruiters who are like, I hate you, but I really hope you're the one. Because <laughs> I guess also it's about thinking about where the business is going. So even I've had to learn, it's not just meeting, meeting potential people once you're desperate for the role. It's about constantly kind of knowing who's around, yeah, who's available, exactly. who would you want in an ideal world in the next six months, next year. Yeah, I've definitely hired people based off being desperate for the role and then like a few months later I realised, oh, this isn't right uh, no. yeah. for either of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but when you time is of the essence, you're like, I just got to get shit done. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think you you shouldn't be afraid to like be open with people and they will probably be the same with you and figure out whether things are working or not. Yeah. But, yeah, you do a lot of really different things. But you also kind of have to do the small things to realise where the business is going. Completely. Like, it was only when we didn't have... We lost our supply salesperson and I started selling to florists again and doing all of those phone calls that I realised a whole other opportunity for the business. Yeah. When I was speaking to florists. So, yeah, it's kind of like... you get. I get in these stages where I'm like, oh, why am I doing all of this admin? Yeah. And then... I, I get out of it and I'm like, I don't even know the business anymore. I need to do more like actual work. <laughs> it's so funny. Even I now um, take time every Friday to just like go through the numbers, do all of that. And it sounds so lab- laborious in the, the grand scheme of all the other sexy things. Yeah. But now I actually really like it because I'm like, okay, we need to trim back there. We need to do that. Okay, I see an opportunity there. That part of our business is, you know, it's less time and more revenue. You know, it, it actually really helps. Yeah. I mean, numbers, we always, st- I always look at that. Like, <laughs> I have friends who, like, have gotten into some financial situations and I'm like, don't you look at your bank account every day? Like, no. <laughs> like, what? I literally look at it every day. I'm like, money's going down. Money's yeah, going yeah, down. Yeah. yeah, so that's always, that's super, super important. I would say definitely check your numbers. You but how did you find bringing on the COO? Because I guess it's been, it'd been your baby, you'd kind of hired people, and now you're hiring a, like a contemporary. How did you find that part of like delegating part of your, of your business? I actually loved it. Did you? Yeah. He's definitely smarter than me. In many, many ways. Like, he just does things that I'm like, I don't even know why you're interested in that or how you've learned to do it, but this is great. Yeah. Like, he's very analytical. Um, he's very process-driven. And I'm process-driven as well, but not like he is. And so he'll, like, he recently, like, put the team on, like, all of these new, like, ways of reading our emails. And so we have, like, shared public emails. And it's, like, so organized, but it's a new thing to learn. And yeah. I got so frustrated the other day. I was like, I just don't have time for this. <laughs> and he was like, it's going to be really good. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
And I know it is. And yeah. Yeah. It's actually such a relief just having somebody, you know, like if I, I'm going to go to Greece for three days, which is like for me of three days <laughs> and thinking about it, I'm like, oh, thank God Jack's here. Yeah. Not that the other, I've left the team on there and before, before he was here, but it just gives you a different sort of relief. Yeah. Because, you know, he's not just running stuff. He's, he's growing stuff. He's like thinking about growth at the same time and three days is important even though two of them are a weekend <laughs> yeah no it, it totally is because yeah how do you how do you make sure that you're you're still taking care of yourself because if if you're not on the ball you know your team are relying on you to be sharp how do you make sure that you are kind of even just taking a step away to like you were saying, in doing different jobs and shaking things up, you get ideas. How do you make sure that you're still keeping fresh, still keeping inspired, and you know you're not every day kind of? Yeah, I do. I do have moments where I'm like, oh, I'm really not into this. Yeah, I'm really into this. And I think you just got to look around the business and and find the different things. Yeah, like I'll I'll be like, oh, this is, I'm kind of bored these few weeks with what we're doing. Yeah. And as a result of that, you'll just send fire out like six emails to different companies you want to work with. And then now off the back of it, we're like, oh my God, we've just done way too much. Yeah, yeah. I think we have a pop-up in another story is happening oh, at the end of this month. So like exciting. suddenly things happen when you get into that stage. It's almost like a really good stage to get into. Yeah. But in taking care of myself, I probably would say I'm the best person at that yet. Okay. Yeah. Probably, I just eat, I try to eat healthy. Yeah. I stopped eating meat this year to see if that made a difference. Has it? It has for me. Okay. I think I have way more energy. Yeah. Um, I stopped drinking coffee, but that's because caffeine started giving me massive anxiety. Yeah. And I met another founder for lunch the other day, and he was like, I was getting these like really bad like anxiety patches, and I just stopped drinking coffee, and I feel great. Yeah. Like, yeah. Anything that can like anxiety is just like a reality. So anything that can calm that. Yeah, I think you just get for. so much energy as it is that the last thing you need is <laughs> like another boost. boost. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've like when I was fundraising, I was on sleeping pills for like three weeks. I just couldn't sleep, and yeah. I was ready. I was really surprised I came out of that and didn't get ill. You know, like when things calm down, but. I'm always on the verge of like, where is my health? <laughs> What's going on? But you don't really, yeah, you don't really notice that you're just happy to be doing what, what you're, you're doing. doing. But you have lots of exciting things in the pipeline. So I know you just said you've got that pop up at and other stories nationwide is growing, um, and you have another collaboration coming up too. Yeah, we actually have a collaboration with um, a really, really amazing company called Bread and Roses. Okay. So what they do is they hire refugee women who have the right to work here, and they teach them how, they teach them about floristry, and then they use the products they sell to pay them a wage. So yeah. it goes all straight back into the business. Oh, amazing. Um, and we're launching them on our site for a month around National Refugee Day. And we've negotiated like no fees from Stripe, our payment processor, which is a massive company, yeah. trying to negotiate a couple of other things. But we're waiving our 20% off that as well. And wow. all of the money is going to go straight back into paying these refugee women who are like incredibly, incredibly amazing. Like they have so much life. That's amazing. Um, and that we'll be doing a workshop with them where people can go 
come visit and stuff. So yeah, it's really it's like one of the most exciting collaborations we've done yeah. since we've launched. Isn't it amazing when your idea and your passion, you're now seeing first of all you've helped these florists grow their businesses and now being able to give back in this kind of way. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's those moments that you're like, you all sit around the table and you're all like already really tired, but you still find the time because you're like, this is so exciting and you see what you do for these people. Yeah. And it, it's not like anybody's like sad or anything in those situations. Like they have so much life and so much excitement about being there and so many stories and yeah, it's really, it's really nice. So what are you, just looking back at the last few years and what are you the most proud of? Because uh, I remember, I, I loved, there was an amazing column you wrote, I can't remember where it was, and you spoke really candidly about this whole journey and was just very honest and even talking about, you know, not going to university, not, you know, having the job that on paper sounded really amazing but you still didn't feel successful. Do you, how do you feel now? I probably still don't feel successful. <laughs> I, I definitely wish I could sit down a bit more and be like, oh, that was really cool what we did. Taking stock of those moments. Yes. Like the team asked my boyfriend when we closed the round and it took me six months of meetings. Yeah. You know, it was a very, I stopped. We have so many partnerships going on at the moment and I was like, why is this suddenly happening? And I realized, oh, I've just not been doing anything but fundraising for six months and yeah. now I have time to work again. Yeah. So, yeah, the team asked my boyfriend, like, what did Lana do when you guys found out you closed? And he was like, oh, she just turned to me and said, oh, we just closed 520000 <laughs> And then went to sleep. <laughs> and I just, like, people were like, are you so excited? And I was like, I don't really feel it. Like, part of me knew we were going to close because I had to know for it to happen. Yeah, yeah. And I never questioned it, even though so many people said no. And so many people were like, are you scared? I get phone calls all the time from my investors being like, are you worried? I'm like, no, but evidently you, you are. are. Yeah. So... I don't know, you just, you accept, internally, I guess you ex accept a certain path for yourself. Yeah. That it's almost when it happens, you're like, oh, cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're kind of, on, kind of on to the next thing. Because, yeah, actually, I want to round out with that. Because I think as entrepreneurs, we forget about the fact that, you know, being in a relationship with someone, that that's quite an interesting dynamic because our businesses end up becoming our babies. How do you navigate that? Um, I'm, I have a very amazing boyfriend. We yeah. definitely, I was like this anal clean <laughs> person who like loved to cook. I don't do any of those things anymore. Yeah. Now I'm like <laughs> cleaning. He puts up with so much shit for me, but he's definitely, he went freelance kind of at the same time that I started this. So yeah. we've definitely switched roles. I get a lot of amazing home-cooked dinners that I can eat at like 11 o'clock at night Aww. and he's very excited he's the one who's always like why aren't you prouder like you should be so proud he like drills it into me so I'm very lucky we don't have this like you're never around I mean he like walks me to the bus in the morning so we have time to talk because otherwise we never see each other <laughs> But okay, so you've, you've, you've lucked out. Yeah, I've lucked, lucked out, out. Definitely. Thank you so much. This has been so lovely speaking to you. No I will you add all me. of the information into the show notes. Perfect. 
Wow, so many amazing takeaways from today's podcast interview with Lana. If you want to find out more about her company Flume, check out the website www.flume.com and you can also find them on Instagram at Flume Official. As always, check out thelifestyleedit.com. Every single week we are uploading new stories with incredible female founders talking about all of the strategies that they've employed to take their business to the next level. In the meantime, I want to wish you a wonderful week and I can't wait to reconnect with you next Tuesday for another episode of the show.